Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we're in the second part of our Christmas series. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we've called it Capiche Navidad. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but it will in a minute, kind of. And so uh, Cutie and I, we have uh, seven kids, and our youngest one is eight. And a couple of years ago, uh, she was going around the house singing a song she had heard uh, on Spotify or something. And she had, she had heard, uh, and she was singing it to the best of her ability. And she was singing, Capiche Navidad, Capiche Navidad. And um, so if you're not familiar with the term capiche, it's a slang Italian word for uh, do you understand or do you get it? And so as, as a, a, a guy who, you know, had his childhood in the 80s, it was like every tough guy used the word capiche. And then all of a sudden it just fell out of use. You don't hear the word capiche anymore after the end of a, a statement, you know, and make sure you get it. But that so we, you know, decided, you know, as a pastor, as I'm, sitting here listening to my child sing Capiche Navidad, I'm like, that is perfect Christmas series of meaning, do you get it? Do you understand Christmas? And so that's the point. That's the point of this series is to, for us to dial back in and to understand Christmas. And uh, in fact, apparently it's, it's catchy. Uh, and so, because Mr. K, who's with us in this service, uh, texted me this week and said that, you know, he modified it. He was pumping gas there. And um, Mr. K is not a bashful man, if you know Mr. K. And um, he is singing at the gas pump, Capiche Navidad, Capiche Navidad. And that, you know, a person at the next pump said, it's Feliz Navidad. And he's like, I understand. I get that. And explained, you know, Pressy singing that song. And it's a sermon series. And, and um, you know, the guy was like, well, what church do you go to? And it ended up being a really good conversation out of, out of that. And so there you go. If you just need a conversation starter, feel free to sing Capiche Navidad. We've not trademarked it. It's still out there available. And so, and uh, we are looking into it, though. Not really. And so... But with that, we want to make sure we, we dial, we're dialed in and we're focusing on what Christmas, that we're understanding Christmas. So if you got your bulletin, you got, you're following along however you're going to track with the Bible app or however you're going to roll, um, that we're leading off with this idea that to understand Christmas, we must see that Christmas is about God giving to us. We feel like it's about all of our responsibilities to give, to give, to give. But this whole thing got started, the whole heartbeat of it, all of it, is God giving to us. And we want to make sure that that truth, that that life-changing thing does not get lost in the middle of the hubbub of the season, that we remember and we live in the truth that this is about God giving to us, that he started this, he pursued it. This isn't something that we have a responsibility, that we're trying to do this. We're just getting to enjoy his love, what he did. And of course, with that, with God giving to us, well, then it's natural then for this place for us to, to give, it is a response of that, and we talked about that last week, that, that giving is a natural response. But in that, in all the Christmas season, 
um, we can easily find ourselves in a space of shopping for things we would literally never shop for for ourselves. We go into stores we would not go into. I don't randomly walk through jewelry stores. I just, <laughs> I, I don't. My wife will. My wife will. I've got texts of, uh, uh, and she sent me pictures of stuff she's found, stumbled upon at Tiffany's, and, and she is, will randomly go through jewelry stores. Um, I, this is not in the notes, but there was one time I did Christmas time anniversary, went to, to buy Cutie a ring. I knew she'd gone to a particular jewelry and I'm looking, and I'm looking for a ring. I've never seen this lady on the other side of the counter in my life. And she is saying, and I said, my wife was in here, and she had uh, she'd liked a ring, and I'm trying to figure out which one it was. And she's like, what's her name? And I said, Krista Clark. And she opens a drawer and pulls it out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I thought, well, all right. That's the one. Shopping made easy. She was, she was Pinterest before Pinterest was cool, folks. She figured she had a pin to that drawer. So she had it worked out. I still don't know how that happened. But, and, uh, but there's a space where you'll end up going into places you wouldn't normally go doing things, shopping for things you wouldn't normally do because it's important to somebody you love. You go in, and, and because you care about what somebody you love cares about, you're now looking at websites and buying different things and shopping in different stores and different departments you just would not normally do simply because of the space that you you love and you want to be able to give and you want to be able to be a part of that. And uh, my wife, that is one of her love languages. Gift giving is her thing. She is a fantastic gift giver. I am not, um, and so, but she is. And so I found myself in one of these awkward spots in this place um, years ago. Uh, Pressy just turned eight, and it was right before, about a month before she was born. We kind of took a little last hurrah while the doctor allowed us to, like, go ahead and travel. It's just about a month out before Pressy was born. And so we just didn't go far, went to the Metroplex, and we're there, and we're, and we're shopping. And um, any parent who has been to the mall in the Metroplex uh, knows Build-A-Bear. And so we have been into Build-A-Bear uh, with the kids. We've been into Build-A-Bear without the children. Uh, Cutie needs adult supervision in Build-A-Bear. And so she loves those things. And so we're there, just the two of us, see Build-A-Bear, and Pressy is soon to be born, and so she's like, let's build Pressy a bear. And normally those places are just swamps. There's lines, there's all sorts of stuff, but for whatever reason, um, there's nobody in store. And the guy who's there is a young guy and is in his early 20s. You can tell he's new to this thing, and they've got their protocols. They have their things that they do. If you've ever built the bear, there's a process, and there's a thing you do. And so Cutie being pregnant starts this process, and then, you know, eight months pregnant, she has to, you know, go find a potty. And so she leaves me with her purse. I'm holding her purse in the build-a-bear, and now I'm the one that has to build the bear. 
And the guy is just looking at me, and I'm looking at the guy. He's like, okay, well, we got to do this. And it was like, this is non-negotiable. He was uncomfortable with it. I was uncomfortable with it. And he's like, okay, you're going to need to pick a heart. And I'm like, all right, I picked the heart. He said, okay, um, you're going to need to stick it to your forehead. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it's, you know, I was thinking this. I should have said, dude, it's just the two of us. We're good. But I just do it. And he's awkward, and I'm awkward, and he's like, you have to have it, put it to your forehead so that they know they're, you're all, they're always thinking of you. And then now you need to rub it on your knee. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. We're two grown men, but I'm doing it. I'm rubbing it on my knee, so she'll always need me. You know, and then there's some other little stuff, and you stick it on your heart to fill it full of love. And then there's this little go around in circles thing, and we're doing the, doing the whole thing. And me and this guy are doing this all by ourselves in the Build-A-Bear, and I just feel so stupid. And we're, we didn't even, like, go full send. I mean, it would have been better if I'm like, oh, yeah, but we're like, it's awkward. <laughs> like, neither one of us are enjoying this, but we're doing it. And so because that's what you're supposed to do, that's part of the Build the Bear experience. And I'm convinced Cutie had set me up, and she's got a video somewhere where she is laughing at me doing that. But there's this space where found, we each found ourselves, this guy this, and me, like, this is what you do. There was no joy. There was no connection in it. It was just, nope, you've got to put it on your head. you got to rub it on your knee. you got to do this, these little things because this is what is required to do this thing for somebody you love. And it can easily find ourselves in that same spot during the holiday season. We can easily go, I have to put the Christmas lights up again. I have to do this again. We've got to bake this stuff again because this is what I do. This is what's expected. This is what's there. And, and all of a sudden, the joy of the season gets pulled out of it. There's not another time of the year that we stick blow-ups in our yard. There's not another time of the year that we turn our front driveway into something a 747 could land on. I mean, it's got lights all the way down that sucker. They're flashing, and there's, there's, it's the only time of the year we do things we would never, ever, ever do in this season because some of it is simply because it's, it's expected. It's like this is what's there, and, and in that, in doing and going through the motions of that piece, we can find ourselves not being fully connected with the season and look something that look a little bit like 2 Corinthians 11.3. It says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. They had sincere and pure devotion. It wasn't like trying to get to sincere and pure devotion. They had sincere and pure devotion. Their, their relationship with Christ was legitimate and it was right. But there was still this possibility that it could be, that, that the enemy could come in and could lead things away from their sincere and pure devotion. Sometimes we feel like 
No, I know the reason for the season. I'm not the one who can be pulled away. But the scriptures let us know those of us who know the reason for the season can get pulled off course just like anybody else. And so we need to make sure, we need to make sure that our mindset is set right and that we understand the real heart of this narrative, the real heart of of what Christmas is about. Because for whatever reason, you know, in, in the church world, you know, there's this place, where the, the, you know, that the, the, the two big events that if people go to church at all, they go to church at Christmas and at Easter, okay? And so that's kind of been a thing for a long time. And so, the, but for whatever reason, Easter is the one that we tie in the redemptive part of what God has done, that we have peace and joy and all of the loveliness of Christmas, but we don't tie in the redemptive part, the part where, where things got turned around for the good, that God came in and rescued us and made us right, that he brought fresh life. And we leave that part out of this. And I don't get why we do that because Hollywood says that redemptive stories are very much a part of the Christmas story because there's not a Christmas story that you love that doesn't have a redemptive storyline. All of them do. Well, three, of my, three of my favorite Christmas stories, you go all the way, go back to Dickens, A Christmas Carol with Scrooge and all of the different versions of that that have been made through the years and all of them have this place where here's this grumpy old angry man who has given himself over to business and to success, and he's done all of that to the detriment of his, seriously, his own self and to other people around him, and he's missing out on the spirit of the holidays and all of that. And then he gets this visitation by these three angels in the middle of the night, and he goes through and and has an awakening and begins to recognize and see that there's a lot more to life than what he had decided to hoard for himself and that being generous and, and kind and caring is the way to live. And we, in the whole story is this redemptive story of, of Scrooge. And then, of course, there is the story of the Grinch. And the Grinch is a redemptive story. The poor guy's heart is two sizes too small. No wonder he doesn't get it. You got to have a big heart for Christmas and the dude just doesn't get it. But he's not one who sat there and focused on himself and built an empire and hoarded coins and, and took advantage of kind-hearted people. He, that's not his story. His story isn't a story of focused on self and greed. His story, according to the full movie, is a story about a guy who's been hurt and outcast and pushed away, and that he finally finds a home a long ways away from people and wants nothing to do with people or Christmas because it just brings pain. It's just hurtful. And so he's not one who's focused on self. He's just been hurt over and over again, and we see his story of him coming about and his heart growing and him seeing that it's not about all of the materialism, it's about the relationships, and we see that through there. And then my favorite story is It's a Wonderful Life. That's my favorite Christmas story. And this is a guy who isn't 
focused on himself, building his own little empire. And he's not a guy who's isolated himself and been beat down by others. This is a guy who's loved by his community. This, <clears throat> this is a guy who gave up and willingly served his community, used his own resources to keep the family business afloat, used his, his, took his opportunity to leave and gave it to his brother to be able to go. He was a guy who served and served and served. And then when he found himself in a hard moment, began to question whether or not that had actually made a difference at all and began to get in such despair that this guy who had been this kind, loving backbone of the community finds himself in such a depression that he's ready to end his life. And then, of course, the angel comes in and shows him the impact he's made. And maybe he didn't change the whole world, but he did change Bedford Falls. And he sees that even with the, the tough things he's dealing with, that it really is a wonderful life. And all of these stories, all of these Christmas stories have this strong, redemptive arc to them. And that is, that's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is we were without hope and hope showed up. We didn't have to go find it. Hope came to us. We had no peace and peace came to us. We were, with, we were out of favor, and God decided to give us favor. That is the story of Christmas, God pursuing us. And we can't let, all of a sudden, in the middle of this, we can't forget that that's the story of Christmas. It is about redemption. It is about things being made right. And so with that, since Christmas is about lives being restored, that Christmas is about sharing the love and the blessings that God has given. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 17. Remember we talked about the shepherds last week working the night shift and, and the angels show up and the heavens get displayed before them and they de decree who Jesus is and where they can find him. And, and they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These shepherds, not theologians, not people of power, but people, blue-collar people on the night shift, had an encounter with Jesus and just went to share it. Just what they knew, what they had experienced, that is part of the Christmas story. You and I, Sharing the redemptive story that what God has done in our lives, that is part of this. It's not saved for another holiday. It's part of this holiday. Sharing the redemptive story is part of this moment. Matthew 2, verse 11, there is this place where generosity and giving is part of this, but it's not just in sharing in the material things. Although when the wise men come, we see them coming to the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And that's very much part of the story. But it's not just, it's not just the opening up of our own treasures. It's the opening up the treasure of our heart of what God has done in our lives and sharing the story. In fact, Paul writes to the believers in Corinth,
in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, all of this is from God who reconciled us <clears throat> to himself. <clears throat> Sorry, that's loud. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's done the reconciling and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That is the good news. That is the story of Christmas, that God showed up on the scene and made things right. Things needed to be made right. Things were off. Things were messed up between humanity and God, but God's the one that made them right. He didn't put the pressure on us to make it right. He's the one that made it right. And that is the story of Christmas. But this, what our commission, the, our reconciliation, it is honestly is fulfillment of the first Christmas proclamation. We go back to Luke chapter two, verse 13. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. There's peace. There's peace and there's favor. That's, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation that God has done it. He's completed, he's completed the reconciliation that there is favor, that there is peace with God because of what he's done. And the truth is that even if you've just received the truth of God's grace, it's yours to pass on and there's no waiting period. There's no waiting period. For whatever reason, there's so many times we feel like that because there are pastors and there are these people who understand and know the scriptures and they're allowed to do things like stand on a stage and talk about it, that people who are new to this don't have a voice. And that is not true at all. Scripturally, man, that, that's, that's why I love the very first people to tell anybody about Jesus were not anybody of any, of any religious consequence. It was blue-collar workers on the night shift. They're the first ones to talk about that Jesus had showed up. And they, they, that, they just shared the knowledge they had. We get to just start out sharing what we know. There's not a waiting period. Let's look at the story of the woman at the well. And before we get into it, the, this woman, the Samaritan woman, who Jews and, and Samaritans, they did not get along with one another. And so she's at this well. She's at the well in the afternoon. Um, the women went to the well in the morning, and they would fill their, they'd fill their vessels in the morning to have water for the day. And that was also kind of the gathering space. And, you know, the people would connect and they would see their friends and, and they would hang out at the watering hole where they would fill their buckets and go. And this lady is there at the wrong time. She's there and she's trying to avoid the crowd. She's trying to be there when nobody else is there. Uh, you ever gone to H-E-B on purpose at a time where you thought, I'm going to run into as few people as possible at this time? If I go right now, I'm gonna see everybody, but if I go at this time, I'll see nobody. And so that's what this lady's doing. She is trying to make her water run where she runs into nobody. And then she runs into Jesus. She runs into Jesus. And here's the thing with this lady's life is we find out in this encounter um, that in, the, in their culture and in their society, um, she was a bit of a scandalous woman. Um, she'd had five marriages. She was living with a guy at that time. 
and um, that was just not culturally appropriate remotely. And so she is, has this conversation with Jesus. She's floored, uh, she's floored by this encounter. And we pick up in verse 25. It says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town way toward him. Her, the two things she says, there are major, major reasons for her to feel like she needs to keep her mouth shut on either one of those. First off, she's going back into a community and where she is well known. And her first thing is, hey, come see a man. She easily could have put on herself this place of shame that are you, and make them think that, they're, that this would be their response. Seriously, you want us to come see a man? What man is this? Seven, eight, nine, which man? Which man are we gonna go look at? Which man are we gonna go see? Who are we gonna meet now? Easily she could have felt the shame. Easily she could have felt like she had no place to say she needs to be the introduction to anybody who is any kind of important. And then she goes on to say that this guy could be the Messiah. That somehow this guy who's a full-grown man has been living in this community and the people who, who know all the religious stuff have missed it and I at the well, have stumbled upon the most important person in the world. She could have easily talked herself out of it, but she's like, nope, nope, I'm not keeping my mouth shut. I don't care what my past is. This guy has wrecked everything. She left her water jar. She left it there. She didn't even finish her task. She's like, this is more important than the water I came to get. And she goes and she shares, and sure enough, everybody comes along. And in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This lady who was the least likely, she had just had a small encounter with Jesus. She didn't know everything that could be known, but she shared what she knew. This is the impact I've had. This is the conversation I have. This is what I know. Come see for yourself. And they believe because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. <clears throat> and so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of many words, many more, because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. These entire community embraced it because this lady was willing to share what she knew. She took minutes old information and was willing to share it. There's no waiting period. As soon as you've had an encounter with Jesus, you have a story to tell about Jesus. And it's a story that needs to be told. And folks, it's up to us to share 
this gift of grace. First Thessalonians 2.8 it says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God. So that out of love, that was one of the first things they shared, but also our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. This season is where we draw near to the people we find dear. This is the time we do that. And when, if there are people who are dear to us, they need to know your story. They need to know the redemptive story of what God has done in your life. Let's pick up back in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's given us the message. You know what's important about a message? It needs to be delivered. How many of you have gotten in trouble because you responded to a text but never hit send? You wrote it, but you didn't click. You did not hit the little send. Or you thought you did, and you little like the opposite of whatever fat fingered is. You like skinny fingered it. And so I'm like, whoop, I thought I hit the button, but I was like on the side or something. And then you put your phone away, and they're like, hey, what's up with this? And you're like, I told you. Hmm, sorry. It's just sitting there all like ni nicely typed. Never got sent. A message is supposed to get delivered. And we've been given the message of reconciliation. We've been given that. And for that message to be, do what it's supposed to do is it needs to get delivered. And you are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely wired to be able to connect with the people in your sphere of influence. You are more positioned to be able to share what God has done in your life with those people than anybody else. Way better position than me, way better position than, than anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you share it and they're going to respond and have an altar moment right there in your home or at granny's house or the, the office or wherever. But what it is is hopefully they'll do what the Samaritan people did and say, I want to find out a little more about this for myself. Maybe plant a seed and begin to be able to move forward. Our job is simply to deliver the message. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. And Matthew 28.19 says, so wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. This is a season of going. Going to the store, going to Christmas parties, going to grandma's house, going, going, going. It says, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to do everything I've commanded you and remember that I am always with you until the end of time. Folks, our bottom line today is this, that the best gift to be brought was bought by Jesus. 
And it really is the truth. The best gift to be brought was bought by Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.